This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of many nations who are one in Christ. Well, let's open the Word of God together to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, and I'll share that on my screen with you here. Uh, as we open up the word of God together and see what the Lord has to share with his people today. Let's listen to the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 2. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn yet. God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing. Why do you worry? About the rest. Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near. And no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. And a word that is both challenging and encouraging for the disciples of Jesus. And I have to tell you, this was about to be a very expensive sermon because, uh, we came very close to taking a massive financial hit this week and nearly lost about half of our business. 
And uh, it was a very stressful few days. And thankfully, God returned most of that to us. And we're very grateful for that. But um, man, I prefer theoretical discipleship. And I would much rather be speaking in abstractions that God is not asking me to live myself. But in those days, uh, God was drawing me to this passage and challenging me and asking me, is this something that you actually believe? Do you really trust that I'm your father, that everything's okay, that I'm going to take care of you? Or is your hope in your own possessions and your own ability to take care of yourself? Because it turns out that our ability to take care of ourselves is not nearly as strong as we imagine it is. And we build up this economic security for ourselves, and we discover that in a moment, it can be taken away. And Jesus is contrasting for us really two ways to live. We can choose to rely on what we build for ourselves, or we can choose to receive as a sheer gift what God, our Father, just wants to give us. We have to ask ourselves, is... Which of these two things actually marks our lives? How are we actually living as disciples in our relationship with our money, our possessions, and our savings? Are we hoarding things for ourselves and using Jesus as kind of a backup plan? Or are we wholeheartedly trusting in our Heavenly Father to take care of us and living radical lives for the kingdom? This uh, wasn't a topic that was in Jesus' sermon notes. He was talking about something else completely different in Luke chapter 12, but there is a man in the crowd who's not really paying attention to what Jesus is talking about. He has a burning personal question, a personal crisis that he wants Jesus to help him with. And he's impatient for a break and a pause in Jesus' message so that he can come in and get some help from the rabbi. This man's father had just died and his brother, probably his elder brother, had seized control of the inheritance for himself. And the younger brother is left with nothing. You have to realize that in ancient society, pretty much your only chance to increase your wealth was through inheritance. There wasn't much social mobility through increasing your earnings. This was this guy's only chance to move up in society. And his older brother, the boy he had grown up with, has now taken this away from him. And this man's rights have genuinely been violated because under the law of Moses, the elder brother was allowed a double portion, but not the entire inheritance. And this man is really entitled to a fair share for himself. And here's his opportunity because this up-and-coming rabbi, this wise, wonder-working man of God is in the neighborhood, and here's his chance to get an authoritative ruling on the law of Moses from this rabbi. He's not listening to what Jesus is saying. He doesn't have open ears and an open heart. The kingdom of God that Jesus is announcing is of no interest to him. He wants to use Jesus for his own agenda. And I'm sorry to say he's not the last man who has ever tried to use Jesus in that way. And of course, uh, we know about all these prosperity gospel Preachers who think of Jesus and preach to Jesus who is going to help you achieve your earthly agendas and your worldly ambitions. And that is not what Jesus came for. But of course, we all face the temptation of 
trying to leverage Jesus for our own ends. It's the ultimate networking opportunity, a relationship with the Son of God, and surely Jesus can help us get what we're really after, which is not him, but some other and much lesser goal. But Jesus has no interest in this man's legal case, and frankly, he has little interest in our own greed and our own strivings and our own worldly ambitions, because Jesus did not come to fulfill our idols. He came to smash them. Not because he's mean, or because he's cruel, or he wants to make us hurt, but because Jesus knows that these things enslave us, and they keep us back from the life of abundant joy that Jesus came to bring. And so he has to do the painful work for us of breaking those idols so that we can come into a true and living relationship with God, to be invited into fullness of life in the kingdom. And so Jesus refuses to get involved in what ultimately, in light of the kingdom, is really only a petty concern. And he warns the crowd, everyone listening in, to be on guard, to watch out for a fatal danger, something that will destroy your life with God and draw you away from him into everlasting death. And that danger is greed. And greed comes in many forms, but all those forms tell the same lie, that the meaning of life is how much stuff you own that life consists in the abundance of possessions, that my net worth is measured by a spreadsheet and not by a relationship with God. And none of us are immune to this danger. This is a real and deep temptation for all of us. But I would guess that most of us would not list this as one of the things that we're most tempted toward. You know, Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Idols, says that over his 35 or 40 years of pastoral ministry, people have come up to him and confessed all sorts of sins. But in those four decades of ministry, he says, not once has someone ever said, Pastor Tim, I really struggle with greed. None of us think that we are greedy people or that we're even really tempted towards it. We feel like Yeah, we have desires, but they're desires that are reasonable, that they're in moderation. We're not asking for crazy things like private jets and solid gold toilets. We just want a bit more than we have right now. And then everything would be okay. It's not greed. It's it's just a reasonable desire for a little bit more. But Jesus warns us here, and not just here, but over and over again in the Gospels, that the desire for wealth is deeply dangerous. It's not neutral. It's not innocent. It's a deadly temptation. And that greed, that desire for stuff, can easily choke out the fledgling life of God growing within us if we're not on guard and if we don't fight against it with everything that we have. Paul watch into temptation and a trap to many harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and some people eager for money have wandered from the faith 
and pierce themselves with many griefs. And perhaps there are people in your own life who, when they had very little, seemed to really love Jesus and were living their radical life of faith in God. And then their business took off or their career began to prosper and they wandered away and became consumed with other things. And I have to ask you, are you on guard? Are you watching out for this danger of greed becoming the thing that undoes you and lures you away from God so that in the end, your life is a pointless tragedy? Your life is not measured by what you own, how much is in your bank account, or all the goodies that you possess. There's something much better that God has for you. And to really hammer home his point, Jesus tells a parable. He tells us about a man who has a problem that most of us and most of his neighbors would have really killed to have enjoyed. This is a man with too much stuff. Jesus tells this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. This guy has so much stuff, he has nowhere left to store it. Um, I don't know how common it is elsewhere in the world, but in North America, one of the most profitable real estate that exists is for storage units. We have enormous houses in Canada and the U.S., far bigger than almost anywhere else in the world. Um, more square footage than anyone has enjoyed in history. And yet we have this really annoying problem. We still don't have enough space to enjoy all the stuff that we've bought at Walmart and on Amazon and all over the place. We just don't have enough room to store all these gadgets and goodies that we've purchased. So we actually have to buy these storage units. We've got to rent a moving truck and just jam these things full of all, all our possessions and then squeeze the doors shut and lock them so they don't burst out and crush us with all the stuff that we own. We are rich people if we can do that. And this is a very rich man, actually, because historians tell us that in the Roman Empire and certainly in Palestine, about 45% of the population lived at or just above subsistence level. 45%. 50% of people lived below that level. They just couldn't get quite enough calories to live a healthy lifestyle. So here's 95% of the population that is just barely holding on by their fingertips, trying to survive week by week. And this guy is in the top 5%. And he's got not just extra, but he's got enough extra to last him for years. But notice if you read the text carefully, Jesus doesn't say that this man yielded the harvest. His ground did. The farmer didn't make the sunshine. He didn't make the rainfall. He didn't inspire the little life that turned the seed into a flourishing plant. We know that God did all that. But somehow this doesn't seem to register with our wealthy farmer. He doesn't think to himself, wow, I have received all this from God, this incredible bounty, and I'm looking around at my village, and everyone else is really struggling to get by. And that would have begun a train of thought in his mind that would have led to quite different decisions than the one he actually makes. But this man is so selfish and blinded, these thoughts don't even 
occur to him. He's not thinking about moral questions or spiritual questions, just hard-headed business practicalities. And he comes up with what I'm sure he congratulates himself as a very shrewd decision. Let's read verses 18 and 19. He said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have enough. You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, if you read those verses again, you'll notice that this is actually a man who is in relationship with no one else around him. He's talking to himself because greed cuts us off from other people, doesn't it? It's about himself. It's about my crops, my barns, my grains, my future, my plans. There is only one human being he's thinking about himself. And he thinks to himself, now is my chance to really lock in my future. Anxiety and worry will be at an end. I've got a fail-safe retirement plan, and I can relax and consume and enjoy. And here's a man who has achieved what we all long for, complete economic security. But his bulging barns have given this man a false sense of control. Because for all of his shrewdness, there's one question that he forgot to ask himself, and there was one eventuality he never considered. The question he never asked was this, I have plenty to live on, but what am I living for? And the eventuality that he never considered was, in fact, an inevitability, death. And death is arriving for this man far sooner than he has anticipated. In fact, that very night, and he has nothing set aside for that. Nothing. And therefore, God calls this man a fool. For despite what he thought was his business shrewdness, he had allowed himself to be deceived into thinking that all his wealth gave him control over his future, and he had none. He had no control at all. And here's how Jesus concludes the story in verse 21. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. And in that verse, Jesus hints at another possibility than the way this foolish man lived a much wiser, a much more secure, and a far more profitable investment strategy, a way to become rich toward God. True abundance comes from knowing that God is your father and that real life is not about hoarding possessions. It's about sharing in the coming kingdom that Jesus is bringing. Jesus has been talking to the crowd so far, but now he begins to speak to his disciples. Their truths, not as a general philosophy for humanity, but a secret for those who are in the kingdom that Jesus has brought into what he's doing. And he says to them, in essence, look, guys, breathe for a second. Exhale. There's no need 
to worry because I've brought you into a new relationship with God. Just look out your window. Every day, God's feeding the ravens. He's clothing the lilies. They're not lying awake, sleepless in bed, worrying about their future, getting up early to toil and labor to save up for their retirement. Every day, they're living unselfconsciously under the provision of their creator. And then Jesus says, disciples, you are worth far more to God than ravens and flowers. God knows you. He loves you. He cares for you. Why are you so stressed? Don't be so afraid, Jesus says. God will provide for all of your needs, for your food, for your clothes, for your shelter. You're his responsibility now because he's taken you into the family. And the job of the father, his privilege, his joy, is to give his children everything that they need. You know, both greed and worry for Christians really springs from an orphan mentality from a heart that doesn't really believe deep down that I've been brought into the family, that I belong to God and that he's going to take care of me springs from little faith. You know, seasons of financial stress, which we're pretty much all going to experience at one time or another, probably many times in our lives, those seasons of financial stress, I think reveal to us, how much we are actually still living under that orphan mentality. How small our faith really is. We think we're really believing in God, that we have strong faith, but then we get tested and the smallness of our faith is revealed to us. Not as a rebuke, not so Jesus can shout at us and punish us, but so that he can bring us into something more, something deeper with God. And in fact, Uh, We need the Holy Spirit to show us that those seasons of uh, supposed lack and and financial difficulty are actually an invitation, an opportunity to deepen our relationship with God. And in fact, God may be pushing you out of the nest of earthly security, a nest that feels cozy and comforting, but is actually holding you back from really living a life of faith in him. God is calling us to uh, a greater adventure than building economic security. And people who don't know God, the, the pagan world that Jesus speaks about, of course, they're dominated by their financial futures. And we shouldn't be surprised because they don't know what they're missing. But we should. We don't have an excuse as followers of Jesus. And in fact, really... Um, those who don't know God and Christians who, who fail to live this life of radical faith in him, we're really not being greedy enough. Our ambitions are too small because we really ought to be hungering and thirsting to possess God himself. And compared to knowing God through Jesus, houses and business plans and retirements are not even worth mentioning. And if they're holding us back from uh, true life with God, honestly, we're better off without them. Very easy to say, 
I know, but it's true. Wealth can't give security. Poverty can't take it away. Real security is only found in a relationship with God as your father. Not just security, but life and joy and real abundance. And Jesus' promise to us today is that if we seek his kingdom, if we commit ourselves to what God is doing in the world, if we join Jesus on his mission, he'll take care of our earthly concerns. If our chief prayer is, God, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then we can trust that our heavenly father will give us the daily bread that we need to do his work in the world. Don't be afraid, little flock, Jesus goes on to say. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. I think that's a really interesting juxtaposition because in one verse, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. And then in the very next sentence, he says, your heavenly father has been pleased just to give you the kingdom. We're called to seek what has already been given to us as a gift. And so we shouldn't make the mistake of thinking that our striving in Christ's kingdom, and there is real striving, as Paul would tell us all about, but our striving in Jesus' service shouldn't be dominated by fear and anxiety and wondering if we're racking up enough points to get in. We're already in. It's given as a sheer gift out of divine generosity. And God doesn't just give that gift, but Jesus says, It's his good pleasure. It makes God happy to give the gift of the kingdom to orphans and the poor and undeserving and even sinful people. He just loves to do it. He's just that kind of God. You see, our father operates an economy of grace. And there are all kinds of different economic systems in the world, capitalism and socialism and communism but only God operates an economy of grace. And it doesn't make sense in the world systems and in the world's calculations, but it's what God is all about. He's not a God who's about hoarding. He is a God of lavish generosity. You know, it's interesting that this whole discussion was provoked by a selfish elder brother who refused to share his inheritance. Yet another family destroyed by greed. But here Jesus has come, not as the elder brother, but he's the only son. And he has full and uncontested rights to the entire inheritance of his father. But nevertheless, Jesus gives up that inheritance. He comes to this earth to enter a sinful world, to share the rights of sonship, and the full inheritance with God's enemies. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That's the economy of the gospel. 
That's the upside down way of the kingdom. And when we experience that, when we really feel that reality deep within, it turns everything upside down in here. And the Holy Spirit begins to change us so that we want not just to receive, but to participate in God's own joy in giving lavishly. Freely you have received. Now, freely give. That's the adventure of the kingdom. So when Jesus goes on to say, here's how you do it. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. It's not something we have to be afraid of. It's not the brutal demand of an unreasonable God demanding yet another sacrifice from his sweating slaves. It's actually an invitation to liberation from slavery, from slavery to greed and anxiety, liberation from lives that are dominated by concerns about money. And when we give to the poor, it's a sign that those whom the sun sets free are free indeed. It's a life that's more abundant and more joyful than hoarding stuff for ourselves because we know that our Father is going to take care of us. Jesus, again and again, speaks of the importance of caring for the poor. It's one of his major concerns and something the church talks about very little and does even less. But in the end, remember, the way that the sheep and the goats are divided is not based on what they said. It's based on how they treated the hungry, the naked, and those in prison. That's what defines who is and who really isn't a disciple of Jesus. It's the test. How we treat the poor is the test of whether our hearts have actually been transformed by the grace of God. In 1 John 3, the Apostle John asked this question. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in him? It's not possible. Anyone whose heart has been, over, over, has been filled with the love of the Father, it will just overflow into love and generosity to others. That's how we know that we're actually becoming like Jesus. You know what, guys? This is not a text we have to be afraid of. It's not a passage uh, about sacrifice and loss and grim duty. This is an invitation. It's about joy. It's about fullness. It's about gaining treasure. For For true abundance is being loved by God. And real life is about participating in God's kingdom. So let's bow our heads now and ask for help because this is one of those things that we cannot do in our own flesh. requires a miracle from God to let go of things uh, of money and worry and anxiety and greed and to open our hands to the grace of God. Heavenly Father, We're so thankful that we can come towards you as our Father. And we pray that you would give us a deep sense in our hearts that you indeed are our Father, that you love us, you care for us. 
our concerns are on your heart and that we are not forgotten by you, that whatever is keeping us up at night and making us anxious has already been provided for us in your plans. And Lord, you know how hard we find it to trust. You know that we are men and women of very little faith. Forgive us, O Lord. Fill us with the faith that we need to truly be Jesus' disciples. Fill us with the faith to hear these things and to receive these things, not as a frightening demand, but as freedom and life. Lord, we cannot do this apart from a deeper experience of your grace in our own lives. And so we open ourselves up to you. Give us a profound sense within of how much you love us, how dear we are to you, and how beloved we are as your children. Or do you want to be a people who are marked not by greed and hoarding, but by open hands, by generosity, by caring for the poor and the suffering around us? That, more than anything else, is the mark of your spirit moving among us. So change us, transform us, O Lord. Make us more and more like Jesus in this way. We pray, trusting in his grace and generosity. In his name we pray. Amen. This podcast was from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship. Learn more about us online at ticf-georgia.org. Thanks for listening.